0: I'm Mel, and this is Tosh, and welcome to Mahogany Momology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns
1: and carefree parenting.
0: A black motherhood.
1: This week, we want to celebrate the momologist of the week, Tanae Sims. Tanae Sims is a single mom, podcaster of Tanae Talks, and a lover of all things Flint, Michigan. We want to congratulate Tanae on her recent job announcement to Northlake Community College in Las Colinas, Texas, as the assistant director of the Trio and First Year Experience. Congratulations, Tanae.
0: Congrats. Well, this week, we have the pleasure of talking about um, parental emotion regulations and coping skills in dealing with stressful events in life that have a significant impact on the children's emotional and social development, especially during infancy and in early school years. Children typically learn to regulate their emotions better if their parents manage their own stress well. In contrast, unsupportive distressed parenting can induce less effort in children to regulate their emotions and use effective coping skills in response to stress. We will discuss the unresolved effects of trauma when it comes to parenting. Let's welcome our guest, Marcella Tarpley.
1: Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Marcella Tarpley is a native Californian and educator for over 20 years. Marcella Ann Tarpley is currently a behavior support specialist for the Moreno Valley Unified School District. She holds two master's degrees. One in special education and the other in teaching. She has taught students with disabilities in grades 3 through 12 and has also had various positions outside the field of education as a restaurant manager, nanny, secretary, and mail handler. She currently is working on her doctorate degree and a license in clinical psychology. To continue her efforts on behalf of foster youth, she currently serves as a board member for the a foster family agency where she donates her time and resources teaching foster youth how to sew she was the recipient of the 2015 riverside county office of education site support staff of the year award in the community she is well known for her advocacy efforts in training parents social service professionals and educators on how to maximize student success in her spare time, when not advocating for students, Marcella enjoys quilting, road trips, and listening to books on tape. Again, welcome. Welcome. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. As Tosh would love to say, let's dive on into it. Let's get it. Into get it. Into get into it. Into I'm ready. Into it. Oh, I feel like I had to stretch and cry outside. <laughs> so I'm good. Um, how do we recognize the signs or symptoms and or symptoms of unresolved trauma?
2: Well, that's, that's your opening Pandora's box. So one of the first things you want to really look at is the history of the parent. Oh. Um, yes, we're going to go deep. Yes. Um, so when we're talking about trauma, trauma stems from when the, the body itself perceives that there's a threat or a danger. And what happens in our bodies is our brain basically hijacks our body. And when it feels that it's threatened, it basically shuts down our system. And the best way to explain it is, it's kind of like you go from your conscious state to your unconscious state. Mm -hmm. And so that your brain can take over and keep you surviving. And so when you're in this state, you only have three choices, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And many times um, from our own childhoods, you know, we've, we've been in those situations, but what we don't realize is that our body is keeping track of all these experiences. And so this is why I say, When you're looking at it from a parenting perspective, it's not the here and now. It's also what's happened to you in your own childhood. You bring all of those memories with you when you're parenting. Mm -hmm. So that's step one, is really getting a handle on, hey, what was my childhood
1: like? What were my experiences? Okay, okay. I know sometimes we usually, when we birth children of our own depending on how we grew up we always want to say hey I don't want to raise my children the way my parents raised me Mm -hmm. and I I will say you know that's a very general statement some people have had great upbringings but you know like how how is that any different you know well I mean that's the conscious part of us okay you know because and and
2: and everything we do part of being a human is either we want we, we have an element where we want to change We want to change some things because we have control over it now. You know, our parents raised us this way, Mm -hmm. and now I kind of, you know, I want to put my own spin on it. That's that's normal, and that's natural. But what we don't realize is, even though we may not want to do it the way, you know, know, my mom spanked me, I don't want to spank my kids— the, the effects of that and our experiences with that is still deep rooted in our brain. And so when we get ready to interact with our, with our children, we're bringing those experiences with us. Whether we felt they were good or bad, it is, it is shaping how we respond to our kids. And if our kids are in a situation that even we perceive as threatening, we are then become triggered as parents, and it sends us right back to fight, flight, or freeze. And oftentimes, you can see that even when parents are engaging with their own children, and you, you know, you're like, I don't know why that the parent doesn't say anything. They seem kind of comatose, or you mm, know, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's the freezing part. Okay. You know, they're freezing up because they don't really know what to do. And that brain says, okay, the best answer right now is to do nothing. That's the that's that's the freezing. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you have some parents that are like. You know, they can't take it anymore. You know, that stress is just so much. And so, like I said, when you only have three choices, and this is what I tell parents, when you're in this state, I tell them you're on the first floor in your brain because there's three floors to our brain. And once you are in that threatening situation or your body perceives this as a dangerous situation, whether for yourself or your loved ones around you, you you only have three choices. Mm -hmm. And so you oftentimes will, you know, you're basically being held hostage by your brain. And so when you're in those mm-hmm. trustful situations with your kids, and sometimes we step back later on, you're like, man, why did I react like that with my children? Mm-hmm. I know better. Well, yeah, you know better consciously. But subconsciously was the part of you that was in action. And it says, you know mm-hmm. what? We only have those three choices. You get no other choices. And so when you're in that state, what's happening is your body is sending a, a, a agent called cortisol. And that's basically shutting your body down so that you only have those three responses to the situation. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't realize is once your body is flooded with that cortisol... You have that initial dose. It can take from 12 to 30 hours for that to dissipate. And the reason why that's so important, especially with parenting, is if you as an adult are in that state where your body is filled with this cortisol, you are staying on that first floor. You're only having those three choices with everything you're doing. So let's say you're parenting, and then now you got to go in and you got to cook dinner, and then you got to go do some other things. You you might be doing your emotions, but when let's say your boyfriend or your husband comes to interact with you, and you're like, you know, because that happens, you know, we're women, we're like, you know, that's the fighting mode. You know, that's not that's you on an unconscious level, and so many times you're like, man, why did I act like that? I don't even know where that came from because that was your brain being in in control of you. And so another issue with this cortisol being in our body and why this is really critical is that we are basically being triggered constantly in this society. And I, I, I call it our new age society with technology and with constant stream of information. Our body was not built to take on all of that information. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is it's coming to us as stress and we don't really acknowledge it as being stressed. We think, oh, you know, this is just how things are I got to take all this information I got my kids screaming at me I got the TV on I got my husband trying to call me We're trying to take that all in And still parent your body's like, nah, we can't do all this. You know, you might think you're a superwoman, super mommy. No, 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 no. I got to get this back under control. So
1: are you saying basically
2: that multitasking is a form of trauma? It can lead to that when you become, your body system becomes so overwhelmed. Okay. And so this is where balance comes in. When you talk about what is the repairing agent for trauma, and that is relationship is one. Regulation is the other. And the other one is called reasoning. But the order in which we do this is the regulation first before the relationship. Mm -hmm. That means our bodies, our minds, our souls need to be regulated at an even keel. Um, And it's really interesting. um, When I'm working with parents, I'm trying to get them to understand when we have our kids on the go, Mm -hmm. we're not teaching them how to be regulated.
0: Now, what do you mean by that?
2: And that means having you have to have moments of time where you're not doing anything. Letting your body be at rest and at peace with itself. We are keeping our bodies in a state of what I call hypervigilance. Always on the go. And when you're hypervigilant, you're also always on defense. So you're always, once you're in this state, it's hard to even receive even simple information. Mm -hmm. It's just simple information. You feel like everyone's attacking you. You feel like people are, you know, you're on defense. Mm. And sometimes you're like, man, I'm tired after a long day. Well, because your body has been on defense Mm -hmm. and you have had no control because as information is coming into you, Mm -hmm. your body says, "Uh uh-uh, threat, threat assessment, threat assessment, let's send that cortisol because I don't think you have the wherewithal to handle this. And so this is where you see a lot of like push and pull. You know, people are like, well, uh, I, I don't know why I responded this way because when your body gets that cortisol, your brain goes offline. And you are not consciously aware of what you're doing.
1: I've got two pathways to... to yeah, I know. You done threw all your questions out the door. No, I, I sure did. I sure and did. It's, yes, okay. It's, it's okay. It's yeah, okay. Two did. pathways here. Yeah. Okay, so you're, you're mentioning that our bodies are getting this constant form of whatever, you know. Two things. As parents, we and you talk about. Let me put this in context. You were just talking about how our bodies, especially children, don't have the time to relax. We are now in that society where, you know, all our kids need to be doing like every extracurricular activity. Like four activities. activities in a day. I know. I'm one. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm. I am one to blame. Don't look at me with the <laughs> tilted head. sides Well, this is you what mean? I'm gonna say. Okay. And I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. My question
2: to every parent is: Why is that necessary? Preach.
1: It is not necessary. I'll tell you, it's not necessary. That's the answer. It is not. And then my next question is, so then why do we do it? Because we always, we want that. We're looking long term, right? Mm -hmm. That competitive nature, that competitiveness. My child needs to be, now not so much as young as my child is now, but we want our children literally when they're, eight, you know, seven, eight, all the way up. We want them to be involved in these extracurricular activities because it looks good for them potentially when they get to high school, maybe they'll be recruited to be on a high school team for college, and I'm using the, the context of sports, right? Yeah. Or even band, or whatever. To no, be, whatever so or whatever. whatever things. that, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. To be recruited for X mm-hmm. curricular activities at the advanced level, which in turn will help them maybe financially reduce maybe some college because they will go on and do that. So I'm looking... That to me is usually the the justified excuse. <laughs> I'm gonna just say that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, a yeah. justified excuse to put so many kids in in so many different things. But like you mentioned, you run yourself ragged. Yes, you do, and uh, and, and yeah. you run your kids ragged. And you, yeah, and we forget uh, they're tired. Yes,
2: kids, they're kids. Mm-hmm. they do not even have the coping strategies that we do as parents yet so when we put them in this high rigor high fast paced society and their their minds haven't even developed yet how are they able then to say hey coach i need 5 minutes for myself when you're 5 years old mm-hmm. you, you you don't they don't have those coping strategies yet and then you, and so what we see with kids is the behavior oh i'm going to throw a tantrum Or I'm gonna be, you know, defiant or I'm gonna run away. We have a lot of kids that will just flee. That's their flight. You know, I work at schools every day. It's very common for us to have kids that will leave the classroom, leave the campus because of this high stress uh, society that we live in. They don't have the coping skills or they haven't been taught that I can have a break. And at the same point, as adults, we are so fixated on getting the kids to the next level. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get to the destination And we're forgetting about the journey people Mm. There's a journey in childhood And the most important years of childhood Is zero to five Mm -hmm. And if you're already putting your kid at a competitive level From zero to five You're going to have, I guarantee you, burnout
1: Well yeah, I mean Humans, adults, we have burnout That's right But you also touched on that point Especially if we're in high school That's why you see so many of these kids Either they're uh, substance abuse dependent Yes because they, you know, constantly want to stay up because they need those hours to catch up on whatever. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna
2: break it, it down to you even more I'll, how you get to that substance abuse. Uh, that's all connected back to people having unhealthy or lack of relationships in their life, which is also connected to the trauma piece. So if I'm a young a, 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 young, a person... <laughs> get, I know. Get, go
0: ahead and get your... Because I got my notes out. So you might as well go ahead and start, start drawing them down too.
2: So. so if you already are in a situation as a young person where you are always in what we call that heightened state of feeling threatened. So you can feel threatened just by being in a rigorous class. You know, here I am. I'm trying to make my parents happy and I'm going to take these honors classes and I'm going to go after here and be in band and then I'm going to play sports. That after a certain period of time, that becomes toxic stress and when it's added to can lead to your trauma. And so then that means you're getting that cortisol flooding your body. Well, when you stay in a state of being hypervigilant, that's when you start going to experimenting because what do you want to do? You want to control your levels internally. And that's why you see sometimes kids will start to experiment with that because I'm always staying revved up. So now I need to take something to be calm, cool, and collected because I didn't learn the coping strategies to pace myself naturally. And then I haven't even developed relationships, healthy relationships with people so that I can trust them to say, I need a break. For a lot of people, that's the hardest thing to say because think about what that implies when we say, I need a break. The assumptions that come with that. Oh, that you can't handle it. You're a quitter. Um, This must not be for you. Uh, Oh, everyone else uh, can do it and you can't. You know, we're in a
1: constant state of comparison. But our parents or even our our fellow adults will... Give will say those statements to those kids, of course, because we
2: have now what we've done in our society is instead of parenting children and talking them on a level as children, we are putting them in a position of being adults. and they're not developmentally ready for that. They're children first. And so what we've really done is, and and i and I see this when kind of tying back to your parenting and trauma and regulation, you uh, you know, the free rangeness of kids. just just let them go and 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 to learn well yes and no kids still need structure and boundaries um, they will never learn that if we don't institute it and so when you do some of that free range stuff that means they're also open to be exposed to traumatic experience I call you know and also just by being with someone and them sharing their traumatic experience with you and you you know how people just want to fill up our cup with the mm. negativity because mm-hmm. it happens mm-hmm. you know people like do that dumping mm-hmm. you know kids get dumped on too And so that's called secondary or vicarious trauma, because you then have to say to yourself, now I got this information, what do I do with it? Do I
1: do something? Well, I'm a child. (laughs) I've got my finger up because I want to talk about my other pathway. So the first pathway, we're talking more academically. Yes. Now let's talk about this constant or hypervigilance in society. Let's be real. We are black mothers. Yes. We've got black sons. Oh, yes. We are in a society where we need to stay hypervigilant. Of course, for safety. For safety. And Mm -hmm. that's what trauma is all about because you don't feel safe. Right. So we need to get into that. Those are factors that are beyond our control. That's right. And and this is where you have to build in those coping strategies.
2: Mm -hmm. Not just stay on hypervigilance. Because when you stay in this state... Remember, like I said, you own, your brain is only going to give you three options. That means you're not able to reason, you're not able to rationalize, and you're not able to think long-term. Your body is in self-preservation mode. So when we're talking about our, our, our sons, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been there, um, it's learning what your triggers are. What triggers you? And if you know that ahead of time, that can prevent you from getting into that state of being state of being hypervigilant so that you can actually think rationally and clearly. Okay, can you give us an example of what right. what
0: someone's trigger would be that maybe some of our listeners may not realize that's what a trigger is.
2: Okay. So for example, I'm going to use something very basic. Okay. We all take our kids to school mm-hmm. and we've all had a school experience. So remember when I talked about earlier, going back to your history, knowing your trauma history. So I know in my history, um, I, I had a lot of traumatic experience at school. I was teased a lot and I was bullied a lot. And so I still carry that with me. You know, it does, like I said, once you have an experience, it can never be taken away from you. So, I know I got to take my child to school. So, you know, even driving up to the school, you know, my mind is recalling what it's like to be in elementary school. It doesn't matter that I don't go to elementary school anymore. But my brain says, uh, we were there for six years <laughs> and you need to be on guard. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not only trying to be on guard for me, but I want to be on guard for my son because the mother instinct also kicks in. But now that I've learned what I've learned about trauma and I've really thought about what what used to be the trigger for me in school, things that used to get, you know, work me, the teasing. And then I would say, well, when it was teasing, what about the teasing that bothered me? Because some mm-hmm. people can take it and some people can't. And that's another thing we have to understand. My experience... We could have the same type of experience, but it's how I respond to the experience is the difference. So even though I might get teased and my sister got teased, but I responded differently because it affects me differently. And so for me knowing that the teasing, it was I felt shamed. That was the feeling I would get from it. I felt very shameful and less than. And so then I don't want my son to feel the same way. And so for me, knowing that when I come on a campus, those thoughts are crossing my mind, I don't want to parent, um, I don't want to advocate for him from a, sh- from a position of feeling shame. Because what I'm doing is I'm not even starting on a, an even playing surface. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you talk about knowing what your trigger is. It's really mm-hmm. when I said at the beginning, you're going to have to go back and dig deep in your history and say, so, mm-hmm. you know, what are things that used to bother me? What are things that, you know, sent me to that place of feeling less than? Those are your trauma triggers. And so once you know that, it doesn't mean you, you lose it t- entirely, mm-hmm. but it means that it makes a shift in your thought process mm-hmm. that you're about to change your whole life and those around you based on your past experience. So I remember when I first took my son into kindergarten and I was very nervous for him because I didn't want him to have the same experience I did. You know, obviously, I want to have a good experience. But I'll never forget, he said to me, You know, you, you you getting them in there. You know, you don't want to leave them like first day, like all the other mothers, all oh, first. You just want to stay in there. I never forget, he looked up at me and he says, Mom, I got this. And I had to think about that. Okay, you got this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Okay, yeah. I'm the person that didn't get it, I, I wasn't getting it because I, I was still teetering on my trauma right there. And so he kind of like snapped me out of it, so to say. Um, And I had to really take a step back and say, you know what, I'm about to transfer my traumatic experience to him and I want him to react the same way I'm reacting because I was already going guard. You know, I'm seeing little kids talking. I'm thinking, are they talking about him? Are they talking about my baby? I'm gonna go over there and do something. Mm, and Lord. see. And you see, that's well. what that's what we see in schools today. Yeah. 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 right. you're yeah, absolutely on, they, they go that's from zero to sixty. Yeah. Oh yeah. Instead of like, let me step back. Because I know as a parent, I I gave my kids a lot of good tools. And if I don't let my kids use the tools, I'm hindering them too. And then I'm creating some, a, a, a platform for them to have a traumatic experience where, you know, mom wouldn't let go. So I could experience some certain things. So really, the key is to go back and assess your own history and, and look at what things got under your skin, how they made you feel, what sent you to that shame spiral, and feeling less than. Hmm. And that's really where you need to start because that's where you're really going to find out why you do the things you do.
0: What coping strategies would you recommend? Um, and I'm sure it varies, but like, because you've kind of repeated, you know, um, coping strategies. So if something were bothering the parent or if they found it through their history that they were shamed, what coping strategies would you recommend for someone who's trying to first see of kindergarten? That type of thing.
2: One of the first things that, and this is all co- also connected to the feeling of feeling safe. And what you have to do is you have to basically learn to do self-talk. You need to let tell yourself you're in a safe place, it, especially if you know you are. You know, I look at, hey, this is cool. This is a safe place for my son. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have really sent him here if I knew it really wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. You know, let's. you have to be realistic. So telling yourself you have to do self-talk, this is a safe place. Even when I'm de-escalating a student that's in a, having a, an episode, that's the first thing I say. You're in a safe place. And you do not have to make a decision right now. That's powerful. Because, you know, part of the whole tra- trauma reaction is is being very reactive mm-hmm. and going to fight, flight, or flee- freeze. But if you can quickly self-talk yourself so that you can stop that, pump your brakes, as I say, and then you can start mm-hmm. to regulate yourself. Taking those deep breaths, the power in breathing is Tremendous tremendous. One of the things I teach students, stop, pause, breathe. Stop, pause, and breathe. The stop is to get them to wake up. Mm -hmm. Tune in to me. Now, just take a moment because remember, we're in this rat race of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, breathe because when you are getting ready to go to that fight, flight or freeze, your breathing becomes very erratic. And so, if you can control that body function, your brain will be less likely to want to go to those three choices.
1: What you got, Mel?
0: Man, you you kind of. Oh me? You, no. you you stop taking notes. Are you you, no, know, you taking no, no,
1: notes? No, no, Come no, no. Come over taking notes right I'm now. You,
0: well, I came for education. That's I'm, good. you know.
1: I'm going to have Marcel in my back pocket <laughs> and I got problems. Talk, talk to you know, you, me. Talk to yeah, me. on the red line, Stop, you know, yeah. Talk to me. Stop, See, pause, that plug. and breathe. that plug for you on that. Yeah. Well, you kind of alluded, you kind of started to describe your interaction. So my question to you is to kind of explain your role as the behavior specialist with children and adults with unreliable. Un- Resolved issues. So uh, my primary focus is to support our our
2: students that are in our what we call our general education program. So these are students that aren't receiving special education services, and my main um, focus is is coming up with the why behind the behavior. So I'll get a referral from a teacher or a principal saying, you know, we're seeing these behaviors, and so we have we kind of have them in two categories: internalizing and externalizing. Internalizing means things like depression, anxiety withdrawn shyness of uh, not nonverbal we have kids who who will only talk at home but not talk at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have the externalizers. My kids that tantrum, physically aggressive, verbally aggressive. I have kids that will, you know, the cutters, especially as we get older, kids with substance abuse. And so my primary focus is to find out the why behind that behavior. And then what we can do either environmentally, um, instructionally, making changes to academics or um, looking at, What are the individuals in this child's life and how can we improve the relationship piece? And that's my primary focus, you know, and then I do that through, you know, a variety of ways. I'm observing kids in classrooms. I'm, you know, I'm interviewing parents. I'm interviewing students. I'm finding out things like what are things that kids really want to work for? I call it what's their carrot, you know, what's their currency? Everyone has a currency. Mm -hmm. Some of us, it's that paycheck, you know, some of it's it's that that happy hour drink. Mm-hmm. You know, some of it's it's a vacation. Everyone, even a child has a carrot, you know, whether it's personal praise. Mm-hmm. And so I have to go find out the heart of that kid, to find out what makes them tick, and then it's my job to come into the classroom and then teach that teacher how to use some of these strategies so that the student can better respond. Mm-hmm. The whole process of the uh, behavior management is not about changing the kid; it's about changing what the adults do, and that is what will allow the kid to make the changes.
1: What the adults do in the school setting, yes. in the school situation—that's okay. right. Okay, because I'm thinking—you know—there may be parents who, you know, sadly had a had a past of maybe sexual abuse or um, substance abuse or That's just right. whatever. So it's kind of like you know, how do you? What do you do for them? I mean, you. I mean, you no you know, you're not a therapist, you know, no. for the adults. So no, it's I'm not like a therapist I... for the adults,
2: but you know, one of the best things that you can do with anybody is to be a listener, mm-hmm. because anyone dealing with any type of past abuse, um, one of the things that I've been teaching all of my teachers is is how to be empathetic, and um, we don't come hardwired with that skill, empathy. You learn empathy. People don't realize that. And so when you have someone that's sharing, it's not for you to respond with the solution. Oftentimes when people are sharing, that was just the hardest thing that they could do was disclosure. And that's probably the biggest um, uh, obstacle. And they don't really want to answer because what they were just trying to do in that moment was just to get it off their chest. Mm-hmm. And if you think about times when you've had something that's been on your mind and you just want to say it, but you got to find that right person, right Mm -hmm. time, this is exactly the same thing. And because we live in this fast-paced society, there really isn't a right person or right time. Think about it. You'll say, "You know, I got to talk to you." Well, yeah. Can you tell me later? Because I got to go do this. Okay, that was a missed opportunity. Someone needed to disclose, not to get a solution, so that they could kind of move on, but they felt safe. With you, and oftentimes we think that we always have to give someone a solution to their problem, and that's not what this is about. We have the tools that we need to solve the problems, but when you stay in that state of hypervigilance, you stay in that state of "I don't know what to do." You you cannot do, you cannot engage. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm.
2: But being a being a listener and being empathetic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I I want to know. Um, what are some things that parents can do while they're having lingering effects of their trauma? Like, what, what recommendations do you have for someone who's dealing with their trauma and they have one, two, three, four children? What, what steps would you recommend for them?
2: I would say, this is one of the things I say is, um, do what I call a balance check. Look at your daily life. Have you built in times so that you can just have moments of quiet stillness that you feel comfortable with? But also that you're doing that with your children at the same time. Because in order for our children to learn, we have to model that behavior. And so even though a parent might be struggling with their past history, remember I said relationship is a healing agent. This is not meant for you to do everything in isolation. Because isolation is what fuels trauma. (laughs) And so you need to be around people that are healthy for you. And that's going to help you grow and heal. And so even having those, what I call, self-regulated moments of being that quiet and peaceful with your children Mm -hmm. is going to make do wonders, not just for yourself, but for your children. Because think about how many times our kids are just starting there playing, running around. And we might say, slow down, quiet, you need to stop, you need to stop. Well, what does that look like? One of the things I tell teachers is you, you give a directive, but you're never teaching them what that looks like. That's where modeling comes in. Mm. And oftentimes it's parents because we're so thinking, you know, we're in our zone. And, and I, I've been guilty of this myself. You're In your zone, you, you're like, okay, they can just be in a room and I'm just going to get it together. No, no, no. No, this is where you need, this, you you know, that love. You, you, you need to be loved on, not loved from afar. Mm-hmm. Bring them in there. Y- y'all sit together on the couch. Hug each other. So, you know what? Come here and sit here next to mom. We're just going to sit here. We're just going to sit here and listen to the silence. Mm-hmm. because life is good. Mm-hmm. And then affirmations, the power of positive spoken word. And I said spoken. You need to speak it into existence. Mm-hmm. If we taught by just doing ESP, we would, teachers wouldn't need to talk out loud. Mm. You need to say it out loud. You need to hear it. You need to put it out there in the universe. But really, parents need to spend that, that time with their children modeling self-regulation Because then that gets the parent grounded. That gets them in the right frame of mind so they can parent. Mm -hmm. Then you can look at your schedule and say, now, what can I do that I enjoy that keeps me in this state of being calm? And that's really important. That's why I say you start with just the quiet moments. Then you find something that's your passion, that's your hobby, because you need the balance. You can't be all work and all parent, You need that middle ground. And everyone's working on extremes. This is why people are burnt out.
1: Easier said than done, sis.
2: I say one step at a time. If everyone today, I challenge everyone, just tonight, sit down with your children for five minutes. Five minutes, turn the TV off, put your phones away. Just sit there. And say some positive affirmation. Speak positive into your children's life. Have your children speak positive into your life. Mm-hmm. And just sit there and receive that. It's going to change your life. Because it's coming from people in your life that you have healthy relationships. You want positive in so you can get positive out. Because negative coming in means you're just going to give out negative. Mm-hmm. That energy, has when it comes in, it's got to go. And, and really, people will be surprised. It's the little things that you do that make
0: a big difference. Mm-hmm. I was taking notes. No, oh, no, look. looking at no, me. No, why, no. You, why? I mean, I got to take notes. I know. I know. And mean. one of the things you
2: you guys should hear is that nothing that I'm asking you to do costs any money. <laughs> yes, I know, right? Yes. Yes. No, no, you raised an excellent point on that. This is some free
1: good therapy right <laughs> here.
2: Yeah, nothing, nothing. Right. Yeah. And, and don't be afraid. And when you're talking to your kids, please stop talking to them on the run. I'm serious. Have them sit down. Or talk at them. That's right. Have a conversation with them. hmm Okay? You're not making decisions. Just have a regular conversation. Because what I'm finding, too, in our schools, kids don't even know how to have a conversation with each other. They sound like
1: adults. Yes. And I'm glad you touched on that because I think sometimes even from when kids are small, we want them to be adults. We want to have them interact with us on an adult level. And it's like, nah. they're kids like they don't they don't know anything so I see some parents that get frustrated they may give a directive to a child and oh, why you don't know how to do it well why would you why would you expect like but they have that expectation that they're supposed to already know how to do it and it's like no no? how how are they going like you mentioned how are they going to learn something that you Mm -hmm. haven't modeled them but You know, we as an adults, we've been in the rat race. You know, we've been spinning, spinning, spinning that we haven't had a time to pause, like you said. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just realize, like, what have I taught my child? There you go. There you go. So
2: before you get ready to reprimand your children, ask yourself that have I taught them that skill? And not have I just taught them that. Have I then made sure to give them opportunities to practice so they can do it to mastery? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, not just one time. Okay, I didn't show you how to put that seatbelt on. Hurry up. Okay, well, your child might need support two, three, four times because that's the way they learn. We really need to have more patience with our children. I love the whole movement of reclaiming my time, but I'm going I'm to flip the script. I need our people to reclaim their children. I need you guys to do that because they are
1: lost mm-hmm. without our guidance. So, I know we've kind of went down a whole different path, right? I know, no, but it's still all cadets
0: So, because the time to sit down for five minutes—that's all that a child is still it's that kind of like going back to dinner time. Yeah, yeah. that old—I hate saying old school, but you know what I mean. Like way back when, when mothers, you know, did not. Tend to work outside of work home Or families I, I
1: was like I stopped Could my mom work full time But we still had a conversation Yes y'all did
0: Yes y'all did I know you told, <laughs> like, me, we... told me that But um, it,
1: it goes but your back mother, to that Your
0: mother made time for that
2: But yeah that's what I'm and saying And that's what mm-hmm. I'm saying That has to become the priority Our children have to become the priority In a different way It's not being that helicopter parent I'm going to drop my kids off here I'm going to drop my kids off here And so then when I try to tell, I tell parents is When you drop your kid off with so and so They're parenting your child Mm -hmm. When you drop them off over here, they're parenting your child. So now you got a child with all these different parenting influences, and then they come to you, and then you don't know what to do. You become ineffective because you are supposed to be home-based. You are supposed to be the main teacher. But if you leave that up for society to do, you're going to get what society gives you. And so we really have to be careful because when we send our kids out to other people, what I tell everyone is they're ripe to be exposed to trauma. Don't ever assume that your buddy has it going on. We don't know what goes behind closed doors. This is true. And I'm not saying don't send your kids, but you need to be aware of what you're okay. doing. Because yeah. we have yeah. parents that do yes. it on a regular. And so right. then kids get in this habit of, and, and when we, and I think you mentioned earlier about, you know, I tell my kid to do something and then they're not responding the way I want them to. Mm-hmm. Well, because he was just parented by this other adult and he's been in this this kind of pattern of behavior where he can talk like that to that adult. That was acceptable. And then he went to another adult, and then that was acceptable. And by the time that your kid gets back to you, uh, let's say by the weekend, because, you know, you done dropped them off at school and after-school program and sports, and then you really, really don't really see your kid and make that interface with them with quality time till the weekend. They'd have been parented by four, five different people with different styles. And then here you are, you're like... Uh, you know, I, I, why are you talking like to me like that? Well, they've been talking like that all week. It's become a habit. If we want to have those foundations, you need to put your kids around people who parent like you. Okay,
1: yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Because I'm like... it's No, a because to me, I was going to say no. that almost, it, it was almost like... We, we we often talk about creating a village, right? Yes. I mean because there mm-hmm. are there like-minded are like minded people in your village. Like-minded, yeah, yeah. like minded people in your village, absolutely. That's and know what your what and like.
2: know your village. Because mm-hmm. people can live in your village, but it don't mean they family. Mm-hmm. See, and I don't mean family by blood. There's people that you know, you can say, I can leave my kid with them, that's family. Mm-hmm. And then you know there's people, they're in your village. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents don't I'm going to be honest with you I have a lot of parents who don't really do that assessment It's oh because you have a title Oh because your car looks good Oh because And you got some kids Okay yeah can you just watch them Because I want to go out this evening Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised How many people have kids and don't parent them Mm
0: Mhm. So Yeah it's deep It is It is Um what would you tell, um, we had a listener um, who mm-hmm. heard about our topic in advance and 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 said, you know, she wanted to say that she's looking forward to this episode. She's struggling with anxiety and can get overwhelmed with the needs that are done at home. Mm-hmm. She worries often often that she is unsub, unsubconsciously teaching this to her child. Mm-hmm. What would you say to this mother or other um, mothers or maybe there's fathers that are listening.
2: I, like I said, go back, look at your schedule. What What is needed and what isn't needed? I mean, we do a lot of things that We do them because we think, like you said, long-term, this long-term is going to get me ahead. But then also look at what does it do to your short-term? Is it really a negative? Is it taking away from your kids and what they need from you? Um, I remember when uh, my kids were young and, you know, I was going to school (laughs) and working. And I remember one day, you know, because I was a teacher I'm like, wait a minute, I, I, want, I want my students' parents to show up and be here. But what happens when I don't show up for my own son? Because I'm so in the role of being a teacher that I kind of forget. And then, oh, from that, and I got to go get groceries, and I got to go do, the, do this. But I'm also sh- demonstrating to my child that this high anxiety life is preferred, but yet I'm looking stressed out. And so I had to go back and look at my schedule and say, what can I take? What do I just, what can I do without? Because remember, like I said earlier, we're always modeling for our kids. Everything, they're watching us all the time for what, how they should act, what they should do, how they should respond. And so you're going to have to look at your schedule and see, what can I do without? And oftentimes we think, oh, no, I can't. I have to. I have to do this. But then I always say, what did you do before you did that? You had a life before you did all that stuff. You forgot about that. Nothing, there's nothing in this world that says that you need to do 17 things in one day. There is nothing but us saying that. If we're, if we do not get ourselves regulated, yes, it, that anxiety is going to pass to her child. So it's really about looking at our own schedules and a self-assessing. And something's going to have to come off. Some things because that anxiety, that leads to later health problems later on. So even though you're thinking, if I do this now, I'm going to have these great outcomes later. But health-wise, you may not be healthy enough to even enjoy it.
1: hmm
2: hmm But I will say to that lady, does she have a good support system? Because she also needs someone to talk to. hmm She needs someone that's healthy in her life to talk to. She needs someone, not because she needs a solution, because the solution is evident. She knows the solution. Like I said, we all know the solution. It's just sometimes we don't want to. We don't want to do it. We have to be honest with ourselves. Find someone, good friend, healthy relationship that she can kind of bounce things off and unload some of that. Not to, that they need to solve her problem, but just so she can unload that. Because part of the anxiety that we have is we keeping everything internal. If I tell you that I just can't pay that rent, you're going to think really less of me. Mm-hmm. We're so afraid of what other people think. That's also rooted with anxiety. Don't worry about what other people think. That's that that's step number one. You you got to let all that go, because that's what keeps us in bondage too.
1: That's a whole different topic. I know. It? I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I I, bread, I just I will bird walk and I
0: apologize.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love I, it. I, I apologize.
0: You'll be back that. in December. <laughs> yeah. um, you talked about the one of the. I feel like there was three R's. One was regulated.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. regulate is number one. Okay. You want to get yourself regulated, grounded. You All know? right. And I highly, I highly, highly recommend. Now, something that I'll say, you don't even have to pay for it because everything is on YouTube. Do some yoga. Deep breathing and stretching exercises because that gets your body, the endorphins going. It clears your foggy thoughts because that's really what's going on when you're getting in that triggered state. Mm-hmm. And then after you regulate, relationship. You heard me? I keep saying that. Healthy relationships. You, everyone has good energy, bad energy. You can feel it. You know what? When we were kids, we had that internally. As we get older, we use it less and less. You know when you're in the presence of someone that's going to lift you up. That's who you need to be with. Mm-hmm. Then reasoning. That's when you can start thinking deeply about your situation, coming up with long-term plans, talking to someone, and then asking for solutions. But it's really in that order. It's regulate, relationship, then reasoning.
1: That is the, that is the perfect sequence. And those things take time, don't they? You yes, know? they do. I mean, it's not, this yeah. is not something over 30 days. No, it's yeah. not. And I'm glad you said
2: that because yeah. oftentimes, in, in our fast-paced world, everyone wants a quick fix. Right. And it's not because as long as you are it to get here— it's going to take you almost no. as long to figure some of this stuff out. Don't say that. But don't, but you know what? We are, <laughs> I'm going to say this to each person. We are worthy. We are mm-hmm. worthy of that time. We 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 give so much of ourselves to everyone else and, and other causes. We forget about ourselves. And you can't even help someone else if your cup is empty. Mm. You can't. Mm. I, I mean... <laughs> You can't. You really can't. Talks unfeinted. No. Yeah, so check your cup. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things I've been uh, training our classified staff on. You know, parents come in. They're already coming in on guard. They don't know how to, you know, work with the school system. You cannot come from a place that the parent should already know. And you can't help the parent if you're coming in and your cup is not full.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, you got two people with two empty cups. It's not going to bode well, you know, so that that's one of the things. And when I talked about the regulation, it's that keeping your cup full, finding out what your passion is. You know, your passion doesn't mean you get paid for it. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if it's something you enjoy. If you would just like to go and take a walk around the lake, then do that. Bring your kids with you. Teach them how to regulate themselves spend that quality time then you're building relationship wow look at that you're gonna kill two birds with one stone and then when you finish that walk and you had that good relationship building you guys get in the car now you can start doing some reasoning y'all can start having that long-term talk Mm -hmm. long-term planning Mm -hmm. if everyone would just spend that i say five quality minutes with those people around them in their life that they say really mean the most to them your life will change your life will really change.
0: What do you recommend for, like, the school systems for those that are listeners at work in schools? What type of—what would you like to see be done differently?
2: Compassion. Compassion. i like to see teachers be more compassionate to students, not sympathetic. Sympathetic means you feel sorry, and that's not what I'm talking about. Compassion means that you need to be a human being, not a human doing and don't be afraid to look a kid in the eye and say, I'm here for you. It's not always about ABCs and one, two, threes. We will only work for someone and give them 100% if we have a good relationship. And we, we've we all done this. Do You have that boss that gets under your, under your skin. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm going to do just what I got to do to get by. Just, just I only got to do 70%. He'll stay off my back. Same way with kids and teachers. I tell teachers, if the first thing that I'm looking for in an observation is the relationship factor. Do you have a positive relationship with this student? Does the student have a positive relationship with you? And if it's not there, I'm going to tell you something. That student is not going to perform to their maximum potential. And they may not perform at all. Because why would I work for someone that I feel doesn't like me? And kids can sense Mm -hmm. when adults do not like them. And so I really want teachers to be more compassionate. Teachers need to learn about the whole child, not what's wrong with them, but what happened to them. And then, and only then, can you move forward.
1: Yeah, that whole teacher-student relationship—that that's a whole another dichotomy that that needs to be unpacked and rebuilt, and you know, that's in right. order to mm-hmm. get effective teaching. Mm-hmm. That's again a whole other you know topic in itself, a whole another discussion. And I ask it so no, no, for those for no, those no, listeners
0: that um, are looking at schools yeah. and what they should be looking for. And that, that, I think that helps out Yeah, for and sure. And there's lots
2: of resources on the internet. Um, one of my favorite ones for parents is, it's just called Trauma-Informed Parent on the web, and there's tons of resources on there. Um, and it's going to say the same thing that I'm telling everyone today, you know, regulation, relationships, and reasoning. Um, That's, that's huge. But knowing what happened, knowing the history, and that's why I said when you're spending that five minutes with your child, finding out what they did during their day at school, mm-hmm. really having a conversation. Sure. Not just, did you get an A on the paper? Did you pass the test? because that's not what happened that was just a result of their schoolwork I'm talking about so what how was recess who did you play with the mm-hmm. gossip what, just 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 the nuts and bolts what what did you play I mean I have I can't tell you I can sit at recess and you can see kids they want to be friends they don't even know how to they don't even know how to start a conversation I have kids that because they stay in the house all the time they don't have the motor skills to play games <laughs> and no one's teaching them they're just there on the playground. Mm-hmm. Lost time. And lost time is, you know, that's so valuable for our kids. They need that. That's part of their development. Mm-hmm.
0: What takeaways, um, what like three things do you want our listeners to, to do?
2: We all have had traumatic experiences. Um, but what I want everyone to, to really to do, like I said earlier, is take that time to learn how to regulate yourself. Check yourself, check your own emotions. When you're in a situation, ask yourself, How am I feeling? What am I feeling? And is it, what is it stemming from? Is it from my past or is it for, for the here and now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, don't be afraid to put pauses in your day. It's okay. It's okay to pull that car over <laughs> and say, so, You know what? I need a moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's okay. Don't just keep driving and get in an accident. Pull over. If you need to cry, cry. Don't bottle up emotion because bottled up emotions take you to a place you don't want to go. And that's a whole nother segment. So, yeah, I I just want people to learn to put their their life on pause for a little bit. Sure, Enjoy the journey Mm -hmm. as you get to your destination.
1: Cool. Well, we thank you for being our special guest for today. Thank you. And talking to us about... (laughs) Your helpful tools, tricks, tips, you know, when engaging with students, not only in addition to parent, um, Mm -hmm. and kind of self-internalizing your own feelings and things like that. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you Mm -hmm. you for the opportunity. Yes. So we want to shout out the mom nonprofit, uh, Moms in Color. Mom in Color is a collective created to celebrate diversity, complexity, and intersectional motherhood. Our primary mission is to inspire, motivate, and spread awareness around the topics that affect Black mothers the most. And they are based out of Los Angeles, California. So we want to give a special shout out to Moms in Color. Ooh, yes.
0: So please check out additional resources and links in our show notes, uh, such as where where. where you can find out more about Marcella Tarpley organizations and more. Um, If you would like to reach out to Marcella, we ask that you reach us first and we'll go and get you guys connected. We ask that you rate and review this and other episodes on iTunes and Google Play Music, then continue the conversation via our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages until next time. This is Mel and this is Tosh. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology
1: <laughs> bye
2: bye